And we are plodding through Ephesians. And uh, somebody had mentioned the other day that they were gone for a few weeks and came back, and it was like they hadn't even left. <laughs> we, we hadn't been in Ephesians that whole time. We had done some other, some other messages, okay, and we had come back to Ephesians again. And so we are uh, we're moving along. This is, uh, this is the 24th message, though out of Ephesians, and uh, uh, somebody else told me how many messages they had in Ephesians that I didn't feel so bad, so I thought, okay, good, and so, anyway, everybody, I thank everybody in here, anybody not like gifts? Abby, do you not like gifts, or do you like gifts? you like gifts? Are they fun to open packages? Yeah, probably if you opened a box and it was like a Tonka truck, you'd be really excited, no? What about a doll? Would you like a doll? Would you like a new doll? Well, ask your grandpa. He may get you one. And, uh, but every, no, everybody likes gifts. Amen. Yeah. Everybody likes gifts. There are some people, man, they're good at giving gifts. I'm not good, obviously. I was going to give Abby a, uh, a Tonka truck. I mean, but some people, my sister, my younger sister, not younger than me, the, the younger of my sisters, uh, she's so good at giving gifts. I mean, she gets the right thing. It's like you were paying attention, and I don't pay attention like this, and that is really good. She'll send a little something after visiting. It's like something for the house. It's just perfect, right? And some are good at that. Some are, some are great at giving gifts you want. Some are good at giving, getting gifts you need, Right? You ever notice those people? I, I've noticed uh, the older and the more, let me say it this way, the more mature that we get, uh, the more we appreciate gifts that we need over gifts that we want, right? Absolutely. Imagine your birthday as an eight-year-old and opening up a present and having there as your gift a suitcase, right? You'd be like, yeah. Kind of like when my, <laughs> where am I going? That's right. <laughs> wow. That's experience. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the kind of like the Christmas I had asked and asked and asked for camouflage pants. Those were the thing, you know. And I opened a package one year and ripped it open and I could tell it was I was like, oh, it was camouflage. I was like, yes, and all of a I went, they're corduroy. <laughs> My mother found corduroy camouflage pants. Let me tell you something, friend. You can sneak up on nobody in corduroy camouflage. I don't care how much. And you'll also get laughed to scorn out of school. I wore them once. And uh, even corduroy was in, but not corduroy camouflage pants. And uh, some people are really good at giving good gifts. And uh, But I'll tell you what, I might not like a suitcase as an 8-year-old, but if, if I opened a package today and it was a nice suitcase, I'd be pretty excited about that. I travel a lot. I uh, suitcases are expensive, nice ones. I had lost all of my luggage one time. I didn't lose it. The airline lost it. And uh, I had to go buy a suitcase. It just chapped my hide. I didn't want to buy a suitcase. And uh, they're 200 bucks, especially when you buy them in the airport because you have nothing there. This stupid little roll around. It was beautiful. It looked like a woman's one. It was the most masculine one I could find. Beautiful gold zippers. It was pretty. It was nice. And I still have it, of course. And uh, I'd count that a good gift. If anybody wants to get me a suitcase, have at it. So, God is the best gift giver. Amen. And you can just think about that. You can think about that through your own life and where you are. You can just look over the Word of God and know that that is the true. true. And, the, and the more mature that we get, the more we grow in Christ, the more that we want what we need than want what we want a sign of maturity in the Christian life. We begin to enjoy getting the things from God that we need. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you could, listen, you could take every gift that you have ever gotten, thrown it in the trash, right? And if you just had the gift of eternal life, you'd say, it's enough. It's enough. Best gift I ever had best gift I'll ever get. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good gift. It is a great gift. And I want to look at this subject this morning in our text. And the title of the message this morning is this, 
after the battle, then gifts. I'll make you think about that. After the battle, then gifts. We've looked through this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and we've known this, we've come to see this, that all ministry is through the church. Right? Remember, we are, we are to be living out our Christianity. We saw that this morning, the breastplate of righteousness in Sunday school. Righteousness is the doing of the Word of God. And when we do the Word of God, what we are doing is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So, so being obedient to the Word of God is actually a protection for us against the wiles of the devil. And we're to be living out our Christianity. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is our Christian privilege. Uh, chapters 4 through 6 six is our practice, right? One through three is our blessing. Uh, four through six is our behavior. Uh, one through three is our spiritual uh, wealth. And four through six is our spiritual walk. We are looking at the, pla- at the, we're at the place of Ephesians now where we are living out on a day-to-day basis our Christian life. It, it, we are to be living it out. And Ephesians here, as we have seen, is a church letter. It is a letter written to a local, visible church. I, I, I had this, I learned this in Bible Institute, and I like it. I have not forgotten it. But when the, the, the individual who was, uh, who was trying to get us to understand what the church was said this, local church, the term local church is actually tautology. It's like saying wet water or hot fire. The church is local and it is visible. You know why we say local church? We have to at times, don't we? Be just because there's so much that believe in a universal invisible church which is not biblical, we have to clarify. But in all actuality, the very word church is local and visible. This was a, ch- a letter written to a local visible body. It was disseminated from Ephesus to other local visible bodies. It went throughout the, all of the churches. And here we have it today. We are reading as a local visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ, Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. And this is to us as well as a body. He gave the great commission, Jesus did, to his church. The ordinances were given to a church. The work of seeking the lost was given to the church. And the instructions here in Ephesians, they are given to a church. We don't have instruction. Watch this. We don't have instruction on how to carry out the Great Commission apart from a church. Lone Rangers. We don't have that. We don't have that. People uh, take this and use it that way, but they're using it incorrectly. There's no such thing biblically biblically in how it's used. Sometimes people use these words and they're not using it in this way. But there's really no biblical precedence for an evangelistic enterprise. Right. No, it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as such and such ministries, right? Luis Palau ministries, Joyce Meyer ministries. There's no such thing as that in the word of God. There's no such thing as this, as I said, Lone Ranger running across the world and running across the nation, doing his own thing with no church or pastoral authority over them. And this is why a lot of people like this because they don't like the authority. They don't like a pastor saying no. Remember I said this in Sunday school as well about the, the, the authority of the shepherd uh, who has the authority from the upper shepherd, the under shepherd does to watch the flock of God and protect the flock of God and to lead and to guide and to feed the flock of God. The church is the vehicle for the gospel, not Billy Graham. He was not the... People looked at him like that, but no, he was not. The church is, was, is the vehicle for the gospel, not Joyce Meyer. Hey, the church is the vehicle for the gospel, not Ravi Zacharias Ministries, right? He had a lot of good stuff, but boy, it always bothered me. He had no authority over him. Boy, sadly, you saw at the, what a, what a thing to go through, to, to be left with a testimony as he was left with after he died. Maybe he should have been like David and had a Nathan under him and said, hey, you need to stop this. Yeah. Unlike a Solomon who didn't seem to have, right? Yeah. Ephesians is a church letter to equip a church to carry out the mission of the gospel. All, all ministry, we believe, all ministry, whether it is a school, whether it is the church preaching and teaching, whether it is evangelism, whether it is doing the work of an evangelist and church planting, whether it is missions work and foreign missions, it all, listen, it is all done 
through a local, visible, autonomous body, the church of Jesus Christ. And it better have the same identifying marks as the church that Jesus started. We'll say that, which we believe is an independent Baptist church. So that's easy, right? I think we're all on the same page there. So we see here that God equips the saints in the church to minister. Now we have a job to do, right? But now He equips us to do it. How many have got a new job and they say, well, now you're, you're going to spend the first month training. And what are they doing? They are equipping you to do the job that you've been given to do, right? I, I uh, was told by somebody, their wife works down at Silver Dollar City. They hired a girl, 18 years old. They hired her to work registers. They said, can you count? And she said, yes. And then she proceeded to ask what a quarter was. Not what it was valued. She didn't even know what a quarter was, a dime, a nickel. Not that she couldn't count. She didn't know what it was. I, and I'm, I sit there, we sat there talking about this, boggled in my mind of how a person at 18 years old doesn't know what the monetary value of a quarter, dime, or nickel is. Right? Uh, she needed to be equipped. Obviously, somebody hadn't even equipped her for life. <laughs> and now these people who are trying to who hired her to do a job are going to have to also equip her for the job. But this is what we do. This is what companies do. They equip people for the job they have been given to do. And one of the ways for equipping is unity in the body. Look at verse 3 of our text. We saw this several weeks ago where it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When everybody is walking in the Spirit, when everybody in the body is walking in the Spirit, listen, that is unity in the body. That is unity in the body. And we, you, know, you have to have unity, friend. You, you, listen, when companies go wrong, when, when things break down at the job, when uh, the front of the, of the restaurant where the registers are, where things break down, is when disunity comes out. That's when it can really happen. When the guy in the back doesn't want to do what the register says. They send the message of the order in the back. He goes, nah, I don't want to do that. Right? What do you have? Now you've got disunity. Because the one ringing up the order right, is all in favor of what that person ordered. But the guy in the back isn't. Well, we have a problem. We have disunity in the body of that place. And so God equips the saints. He equips, He is equipping everybody in this room that is a member of, of, Calvary, of Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, wherever we are today. Who is, he is equipping us, watch, to carry out what He has built this body to do, which is to carry out the Great Commission. So there needs to be unity in the body. Could you imagine your body? with parts that are not agreeing with the others? Some of you are saying, I have them. <laughs> I am living there. Some say, I live there every day now. I used to not, but now I do. Right? Used to be, years ago, most of my body agreed with the other parts of my body. But what happens when they don't agree? When your foot doesn't agree with your brain and you fall. Right? When, when your other body, your, uh, your liver doesn't agree with what you've been doing, right? It says, no, we don't like this. It, well, listen, it creates disunity in the body. And the doctor goes, you're going to have to do this, or I'm going to have to do this, or you're going to have to stop doing this, or start doing this. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get unity in your physical body. What happens? You can accomplish more. Right, right brother? When your both knees are working well, boy, you can get a lot more done. You can go to baseball games instead of giving your tickets away, right? You can go to all sorts of stuff. Amen. Unity in the body, right? Notice this in verse 7. We're talking about equipping the church, watch, to minister. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. But He's equipping us to do it. He's equipping us to live on the outside of what He has worked on the inside. Look at verse 7 uh, where we are starting today. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Oh, we have gifts. We have gifts. We have a giving God who gives the best gifts. And here He is giving 
gifts again. Now notice this here in verse 7. Everyone is a recipient of grace. I like that. This word grace is the word, is the word charis. Most often as it is defined as the word undeserved favor. We know that the, the most. Uh, it's, it's mentioned over 156 times in the New Testament. Think about this. Out of 156 times in the New Testament, Paul uses the word 110 times. What a word there. The word grace. God has given every believer in the body undeserved favor. In the body. Look, look at this. This grace is according to the gift. Do you see that? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. God, watch this. God gives gifts for a purpose. He's a good gift giver. Yeah. How many of you asked for something and God said, no, no, I'm not going to. We, we can't do that. Then you get mature. <laughs> you grow up a little bit and you go, boy, am I glad I didn't get that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? God gives gifts for a purpose. He gives gifts in the body to equip us for the body. And he gives no, gifts for no other reason than his grace, than his favor. Hey, friend, what God has equipped you with isn't to puff you up, isn't to make you feel superior, isn't because you have done something because you showed up in a better way than somebody else. So God said, whoa, you got it all together now. I'm giving you that gift. That isn't at all because he created you in the first place. You didn't even create. Hey, people say, uh, say, wow, you're good at this or you're good at that. And I've had, I'm sorry, you've had people say it to you. I've had them say it to me. And I've just replied this way. Hey, this is how I showed up. God made me this way. There's no, listen, we, God has just helped, given us everybody abilities and to do things. Don't, not to get puffed up about, right? Yeah. But he, but he's get, made us in a certain way. Listen, the very same way he has made us. Listen, he has given gifts for you to use in the body so the body can carry out the Great Commission. He has given gifts. We have no reason, no reason to look at these gifts for us. Watch, they're, getting, they're not for us, they're for Him. They're for Him. Gifted in the body. Notice in verse 8 though, But unto every one of us, verse 7, Give the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When, at, when he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. If you'll notice here, these gifts, the gift that God gives, the gifts that God gives to his believers, not the gift of salvation, but after salvation, not the gift of Christ to be in Christ, but to those who are in Christ to be equipped to do what he wants them to do. These gifts that God gives us, they came at a price. They came at a price. Paul here is using the imagery of battle. He's using the imagery of a battle. When he ascended up on high, it says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. It has been the common practice ever since wars have been fought and governments have been fighting and nations have been fighting and rulers have been warring against each other. It has been the common practice that the winner of the war takes the spoils of war home. And he begins to divide them up. It brought my mind back. I was thinking about how to illustrate this. And the, I'm telling you, some of the best illustrations, the best illustrations are the illustrations of the Word of God. And one of these illustrations of this, I, I called to my mind, was 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you remember what was going on there, David had been fighting David had been warring, I believe it was against the Philistines, and they were camped out. They were, their home base was Ziklag at the time, and they had left him and all of his mighty men and, the, bat, and the, the, the men that he had to war with him had left Ziklag, and they had gone down, and they were fighting in a battle. Well, while they were fighting, there was a band of the Amalekites that had come up Yeah, the band of Amalekites, I'm trying to remember how this went, that had come up to Ziklag while David and the army was away and they had came in and they had burned Ziklag with fire. They had taken all of their wives, they had taken all of their children and walked off with all of their stuff and, uh, and just went out and left with it. Now, this wasn't really a battle, 
right? They weren't fighting anybody. They, they, they didn't win uh, legitimately in a battle. They came when, when everybody was weak. They came when the, when, when, when the men were gone, and they came and they just took everything and burnt everything and left with it. Well, word got back to David and to the men that Ziklag had been burnt with fire and everything was gone. And so David uh, took his men, they finished their battle, they went back to Ziklag. On the way there, on the way back to Ziklag, they meet this Egyptian boy that had been taken of this Amalekite army. And and they said, uh, who are you? And he hadn't eaten for three days and three nights. They gave him some food, they gave him some water, the kid's eyes, the Bible says, began to become enlightened. And uh, he said, well, I'm an Egyptian slave of these Amalekites. And uh, and, uh, I was with them when they went into Ziklag. And David said, where are they? And the boy says, very smart boy, if you uh, preserve my life and promise not to kill me, I'll tell you. <laughs> Pretty smart kid. David promised, and uh, he said, uh, I'll lead you to him." And uh, this boy led them down to where the Amalekites were camped out with all of their wives, with their children, with all of their stuff. And I don't know if you can imagine this. It's hard to imagine in our day. Maybe you go back to the Wild West days and remember some of those Westerns you watch and they came in, they shot up a town and they took away somebody and they got out into the wilderness and here comes the posse and they're up on the hillside and they're looking down in this valley and there they're all camped out, right? And with all of the stuff, they're like, all right, how are we going to get them, right? And they're just waiting. This was the Amalekites. They're camped out there in the wilderness and David and his army show up and I'm telling you what, He's angry, and he wiped every one of them out, killed them all. And so what did he do? He recovered the wives. They recovered their children. They recovered their stuff. Wait, and they also took everything that was the Amalekites, the spoils of war, and brought them back to Ziklag. So they got back to Ziklag there. If I, now, now, I didn't mention this, but remember, when they went to fight, there was 200 men of David's men that were unable to go to war. They were so exhausted from the last battle, they said, we cannot go any farther. And they had to stay back at Ziklag. And they, they had to do what? They were watching the stuff, right? They were watching everything. Let me remind you tonight, today, this morning, I was thinking about last Sunday night, right? And uh, let me remind you, there are some that can't go out to battle like they used to, but you can still stay by the stuff, friend. We still need people at home to stick by doctrine and to say, no, we're not having those type of people preach here. And no, we're not having that type of music here. And no, we're not doing this and we're not going that direction. Hey, we still need some people that can't always go out to battle anymore like they used to battle because they can still stay by the stuff and stay back at home and watch the things that need to be watched. Amen. Amen. And you know what David said to those 200 men? He began to divide the spoil. Remember the Bible says there's some men in his army. The Bible calls them men of Belial, wicked men, who said, uh-uh, they didn't fight. They're not going to get anything. And David said, they stayed by the stuff. They are going to get just as much as anybody else did. Let me tell you, that's a big job. Hey, hey, you, you're here and you feel like you, you, you don't have the activity level in the battle like you used to. Well, I'll tell you what, in David's eyes, who was a man of God, the one sticking by the stuff had as much, as much right to the spoils as those who actually went out and fought the battle because they're both needed in their, in their own place. And he began to divide out the spoils among them. And what did he do? He, 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 he took the spoils of, them of war. He took the spoils of war and he divided it among the people. Not only that, you can go back to 1 Samuel 30 and watch this. He sent out gifts to the elders of Israel from the spoils of war. Right? You see, you see the imagery here that Paul's doing? Somebody goes out to battle. They win the battle. They bring back the spoils of war. And they start giving out gifts. Can I tell you something? Satan has destroyed everything. He destroyed it all. He came to Eve. He didn't come to Adam. He came to Eve. Yeah. Began to deceive her, hath God said. And he deceived her into sinning against God. And I'll tell you what, if you look, at, look in Genesis there, uh, Adam was right there watching too, friend. He had his own problems that, he, that we are paying for today. Amen. And, uh, but he destroyed it all. He destroyed it all. But can I tell you something? 
<clears throat> While the earth was seemingly destroyed by Satan, everything that God had called very good had been burnt up by Satan. Everything that God had made that was good, Satan had destroyed. And I tell you what, God suited up for battle. I'm thankful he had suited up before he created it all, but he suited up for battle and he came. He, he came not, not when in the fullness of time, the Bible said, Jesus was born of a virgin. He, Jesus himself, the second person of the Godhead, put on human flesh. He came to this world. He was born of a virgin. He, what was he doing? He was going to battle. And what did he, he put on human flesh? He lived the law perfectly. And not only that, he, he, he laid down his life at Calvary. He shed his atoning blood, perfect blood, not the blood of Adam, but the blood of God that he offered up as a sacrifice. And the Father counted that blood as, as, as acceptable to atone for the sins of all the world. What was he doing? He was battling, Jesus was battling a war. And he won. Amen. Three days and three nights he was in that tomb, right? He, he, he went right after Satan. Satan couldn't get him. He tried to get him in the wilderness by tempting him. He couldn't get him there. I believe Satan tried to get him through Peter when Peter said, Oh, I'm not going to let it happen. You're not going to go up to Jerusalem and you're not, you're not going to do this. And, and, and over my dead body, I'm not going to allow it to happen. And Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. Right? And uh, Satan was trying to work through Peter, he's trying to work in the wilderness. And finally, I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan was trying to work to get Jesus to stop, to get him so he would not go to Calvary. But Jesus came from heaven. He went into battle. He was born of a virgin. Right? He went to Calvary. He shed his blood. Yeah. He went to a grave. He went to a grave. But on the third day, he came out alive. Amen. Sin had been paid for. The price had been paid. Death, death had been defeated. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? What? Jesus had defeated it. He had battled and he had won. But there was one more task to complete. One more thing to go. The Apostle Paul says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Look at verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it that but he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. What is it here that he descended? Well, we know that Jesus descended from heaven. He lowered himself to heaven. He came down from heaven, but not only did he descend from heaven to earth, but when he died, when he gave up the ghost, when he cried, it is finished and died, he descended into a grave. But that wasn't the end of it. While his earthly body was in a tomb, wrapped up in those grave clothes, Jesus descended down into hell. 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So Jesus went to the lower parts of the earth. It says here in verse 9, He ascended what is it? Uh, he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He descended, and it says here in 1 Peter, to preach unto the spirits in prison. Jude 1.6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. There are some of those angels, we don't know what they did. We don't know what happened before the flood, that God took some of these fallen angels and He reserved them that, that very moment. No, they were not going to continue another day uh, doing what they did. He reserved them into chains of darkness unto the day of judgment. There are some that are waiting for their judgment. The Bible says Jesus went and preached to them too. They're waiting. Matthew 8, 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? What was this? Jesus was dealing with the maniac of Gadara. And those demons that were in them began, when they saw, they said, you know, they said, Talk to Jesus, thou Son of David. They knew who he was. Jesus said, Quiet. He said, Are you come to torment us before the time? They know there's a day appointed. They're going to judgment. 
They are loose to doing what they're allowed to do. So we have demons that are chained up, that are waiting for judgment in hell, and they're not allowed out. There are other demons who are allowed to be out, who are, who are still out to this very day that are waiting for judgment, right? But, but it is Jesus, watch this, when he finished his atoning work, he went down to hell. Part of the reason he went there was to preach. Part of the reason he went to preach. If you remember, we see Jesus rolled back the curtain of what hell was like at this time. right? And we know we saw there in, in Luke 16 that hell was of two compartments. We had Lazarus who was in Abraham's bosom. And you had the rich man who was in, in hell. And he says, I am tormented by this flame. He said, would you send Lazarus? So watch this. The Bible said there's a great gulf fixed between the two of them so that one can't pass to the other side. But it was close enough in this compartment that the rich man was able to speak to Abraham. He sees Lazarus, that, that one over there that had accepted, that, was, that, was, uh, that was, had, we would say today had accepted Christ and was with Abraham awaiting uh, the, the final uh, Christ to come as the Messiah to offer the blood of the sacrifice. They're waiting in the compartment of paradise. And the one, the rich man who's in hell was, who had rejected Christ uh, is looking over and he's talking to Abraham and said, hey, would you, would you send Lazarus just to dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue. Abraham said, no, that's not possible. What's going on here? They're, a, they're in a proximity where conversation could be held back and forth. It's in one compartment. Jesus went here. He went here, right? During the three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, he went down into hell to where the, the lower parts of the earth where one side is the flame, right? And the other side is paradise. Watch, he preached defeat to those that are in hell, and he preached victory to those that are in paradise. He took those in paradise look, and led them with him uh, to heaven. Look what it says, Now that he that ascended, what is it? But he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. Look at, look at verse 8 again, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. Who, what, what, how were they captive? You know it was in paradise? All of the Old Testament saints that had put their faith in a coming Christ... They had put their faith in a coming blood atonement that was going to be satisfied for the sins of all mankind. They had put their faith and trust in what God said. And they died in faith, knowing what God said was true. And where did they go? They went to paradise. Right? They, were, they were waiting for Jesus to do what they had believed He was come to do. And once He did that, once the blood was offered uh, as an atonement for sin, Jesus went to heaven. He might have hollered across and said, Hey, uh, you lost. It's over. The war's finished. I have, I have given my blood. It's finished. Yeah. And these are coming with me. Like Jesus said in John 14, that where I am there you may be also. And what did he do? Could you imagine the thief on the cross? What he saw, I mean, just moments earlier, Jesus said, This day thou shalt thou be with me in paradise. And boy, he was. Yep, he was. And Jesus said, Okay, let's go. Boy, one of the, one of the shortest, shortest tenures in that hotel was that thief on the cross. <laughs> he just stayed a few minutes. David had been there for a few hundred years. Abraham had been there for a few thousand years. Thief on the cross got there for about five minutes and had to go. It was time. Amen. He led him out captive. Amen. Can I tell you this? Jesus wasn't tortured in hell. Take, take that, 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 that heresy and throw it out. Joyce Meyer and all the rest of them. Stephen Anderson claims to be a Baptist who's not. 
what, what, what heresy that is out there. Jesus did not go. It, it, listen, the blood, the blood was sufficient to, to, pro, to, uh, to take away, to atone for every sin that there was. He did not have to go and was not tortured in hell with a silly, unbiblical doctrine that they preach. He had won the war. He was bringing everyone home. Watch who belonged to him. Do you see this? He won the war. He was bringing all of his children home. He was bringing all of those that belonged to him. Watch this. He's, he, he's out of the grave. And watch what he's going to do. He's going to start splitting up the spoils that he alone won. He's giving, watch, he's giving gifts. Just like David did when he won the spoils of war. He's handing out gifts. He's gifts. Yeah. After the battle, then gifts. And this is what he's doing. Given out by grace. Not according to what we want, but according to what we need. And what is our need? To be equipped in the body, the church, to carry out the great commission. To carry out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gifted us, watch. His equipment for us, Jesus calls them gifts. Their gifts, according to his grace, according to his own favor, uh, not our favor, but just because he favors us. God has equipped every saint to function in the body. That is you this morning. If you are in the body, right? You say, well, I'm saved. I'm in the body. No, that's not the body. You're in the kingdom. You're not in the church. You're not in one of his churches. And we can debate that for eons here going on. But the body is always local. It's always visible. Yeah. God has equipped you to function in the body to help the body carry out what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So we see here the church is the visible body of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he went back to heaven. What did he say when he came the first time? He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. What did he command his body before he left the church? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What does he tell him to do? Go out and seek and save that which is lost. Watch. Jesus bodily went back to heaven. But he left his body, a physical visible body, in his church. And what makes up a body? Well, members, appendages, arms, legs, eyes, nose, mouth, ears, feet. And what has he done with every one of those members? He has equipped them to operate in the body so that the body can be in unity and carry out the Great Commission. What does that mean? To seek and to save that which is lost. Friend, don't miss sight of this today. That's why you're on this planet today. That's why when you were saved, God didn't take you home immediately. Because He has placed us in a body to carry out what He started. Can I tell you something? The gifts that Jesus gave cost Him a lot. Don't minimize the body. Jesus thought it so important that He purchased it with His own blood. Don't minimize the work of the body because it's the only, listen, it is the only vehicle that God has chosen to get the gospel out into all the world. Don't minimize it. Yeah. He's given gifts to us. We have been gifted to fit in the body. God has not, and then what he ends up doing, let me, let me go back and hit this as well. He is, there, there's, there's gifts in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at these here next week. I'm not going to focus on these tonight. But you have gifts given in 1 Corinthians, and you have gifts that are given here in chapter 4. What you find out here in chapter 4 is he is, he is giving certain gifted ones to the body to equip the body who are gifted to be better equipped in the body. Uh, we'll look at this later because I just, you just went, huh? And I did too. I went, huh? What did I just say? I don't even know what that means. I kind of do. 
We'll look at that here in a little bit next week. God is, watch, God has given those that he has gifted, not to an enterprise, not to a ministry, my own thing. He's given them to the church. You see, it says, you say, you say, see, it says the church, the church, that's got to be universal. Well, when I say the home or the family, does that mean there's a universal home or family? <laughs> there are individual, visible, local families all over the world defined as God defines them, not as we define them. A man and a man is not a family. A woman and a woman is not a family. Amen? I think we were good on that. That's easy, right? God defines what a family is. Hey, God defines what a church is. And he's given us to the body, to the body. Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Teachers. He gave gifted people for a specific reason. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Not gifted to bolster the gifted but gifted for others, gifted for the church, gifted for Jesus Christ. What am I saying today, this morning? We're going to look at all of these different giftings next week, as well as these specific ones here. But what I'm saying this morning is you have been gifted by God for the body. Are you in the body? Are you in a body? If you're watching online today and you're not a member of an independent Baptist church and you are born again and you know you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you are gifted for a body, but you're not fulfilling what you're supposed to because you're not in a body. That body came at a great price. To the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been gifted. Hey, being gifted by God and outside of a body is like having a dump truck without the dump bed. It's like having a dump truck, right, without the bigger engine. It's like having a dump truck without the bigger springs and the bigger shocks and the bigger tires and the bigger frame. Watch, a dump truck is equipped for a special job to do. No, you can back the car up and open the trunk and dump a bunch of dirt in there, but I'm telling you, it's not going to work right. (laughs) Anybody tried it? No. Even a pickup truck. How many of you go, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the, wherever the, the, uh, the nursery and I'm going to have them put a scoop of dirt in the back of my truck and you get home, you're cleaning that dude out for months because the bed doesn't do this. So you're doing this. How do I know? Because I've done it. Then I said, oh, I'll put it on a tarp. I'm smart. Well, you ever try to drag a tarp out full of, bed, full of dirt? That doesn't work. Yeah, what do you do? You rip the, Brother Jack knows all about it, I see. Yeah, what do you do? You throw the tarp out because you've destroyed it with your shovel shoveling the dirt out because you couldn't pull the tarp out because it was like 5,000 pounds. Right. <laughs> You're equipped for a special job, friend. You're equipped for the body. And when you're not a part of a body that Jesus wants you to be a part of, yeah. you're like, hey, you're like having being a heavy-duty spring, and a and a you know and a, a fourteen-ply tire, and a and a and a four hundred horsepower diesel, right? Equipped for a big dump truck, sitting in a yard just sitting there. Brother Bob, you know all about big leaf springs and fifth wheels and. All of that stuff. Can you can you imagine what use a big big heavy duty leaf spring is just sitting in the yard when it should be on your truck? You got you're missing one and you're driving around the back corner. I mean, yeah. I don't know how I know these things, but and it's flopping everywhere. And you go, yeah, but I got a really good heavy duty spring sitting in the yard. It's worth a lot of money. No, it's not. Well, it may be but it's worth the most when it's attached to the vehicle it's supposed to be attached to so when it can accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. What am I trying to get at this morning? Listen, 
If you're accomplished, if you are attached to this body like you're supposed to be, God has gifted you, and we're going to look at that next week. And listen, you have a very special role to play in this body. God doesn't give gifts haphazardly. Right. He has a special role for you to play. You may not think it, but He does. The other thing we've got to get at today is if, if you're not a part of a body, you're here or you're watching online, and you're not, listen... You, you are a special part that God, is, that God is gifted to work on a body. And if you're not attached to a body, you're just a really, really great expensive part. Real expensive. How expensive? The blood of Jesus is expensive. Sitting out behind a barn. Yeah. Sitting up on, on an engine stand. Oh, man, this, I tell you what, this motor, this is a good motor. You going to put it in the truck? Nah. Just sitting right here. Great. Any plans to put it in the truck? Nope. Nope. It's so good. I'm just going to leave it right there. That thing is beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Would you do this today? Would you trust the Lord to put you in a body like you're supposed to be? Watch. So you can accomplish what He intends you and has gifted you to accomplish in the body. And if you're in the body this morning, if you're in a, if you're in a, a, a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you not minimize what He has gifted you to do? What He has put you there to do? You say, I don't know what I'm gifted to do. We'll look at that. Yeah. Some of you say, well, life's changed and it doesn't seem like my gifting is the same. Uh, I can't carry out my gifting like I used to. We can look at that. But what am I saying? Don't minimize the body. And don't minimize that God has saw fit to equip you to be in the body. If somebody spends the time and the effort to equip somebody to, to do a job, right, that means they think it's pretty important. If you're going to be a rocket, if you're, if you're going to push the button to, to launch the space shuttle, <laughs> hopefully you're going to have a little, little more experience than I would have in that room pushing buttons. Okay? Why don't they equip me? Because the astronauts think it's a pretty important thing that not only do they launch correctly, but they get back correctly. And so when I showed up for the job, they say, no. No. Sorry. God thinks a lot about his body. Yeah. And he's equipped you for that. Let's not minimize it. Father, thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the church that Jesus built. I thank you that uh, as you have defined what your church is. And Lord, as we endeavor to be as biblical and as accurate to what you have defined your church to be, would you help us to never lose sight of the importance of your body, to seek and to save that which was lost, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to teach, to disciple, to train, to equip so that we can continue to do it over and over and over and over again. Would you encourage those, maybe they're online watching, that need to be a part of a body, would you encourage them today just to do that? Would you encourage those here that are part of this body that you have equipped that they would understand their equipping is of you and it's for a very big purpose. This church should be the center of our life, not an add-on. Our attitude should be that the, the, the work of our church stops when we, because, okay, yeah, we've got to go to work, but we'll just pick up when we're done with work. Not, not when I'm done with work, I'll add church. When I'm done with what I want to do, I'll add church. When I'm finished with my plans, I'll add church. Oh, God, help us not to get into that mindset. We pray you do the work that you intend to do here this morning. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand this morning? The instrument's going to play. Invitation is open. However, the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I have no idea with this message. I've told the Lord, uh, Lord, application-wise, I, I, I don't know what you're going to do with this. However, God has spoken to you. Is, is the church, hey, is, is the church important to you? It was important enough that Jesus purchased it with his own 
blood. It was important enough that he saw fit to equip you to carry out the Great Commission. Are you seeking unity in the body? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you seeking how God has equipped you and what He's equipped you for to stir up those gifts? As Paul told Timothy, to put them to use. I'm telling you, friend, we're living in a, in a day where the church is more and more minimized every day. It's just a it's just a it's just an afterthought. It's an afterthought in people's lives anymore. Oh, I can worship anywhere. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> yes, you can worship anywhere. And you should be worshiping everywhere. That's not the reason why we assemble. It's not the reason for the body. Though The body is to go out into all the world and pre- preach the gospel. It's a vehicle. It's a vehicle. Yeah. That's why, you know... When our attendance gets to 5 and 7 or 10 or 12 or 15 on a Wednesday night, we'll still have Wednesday night. That's why, you know, if three people show up on Sunday night, which we're glad they don't. There's more than that. We'll still have Sunday night. So much the more as you see, the, hey, it's an important thing. It's why, why we just, we're going to continue to go out and knock doors. That's why we're going to continue to go out preach the gospel and whatever ability that we have to do it whether it's passing out tracks or whether it's walking streets and knocking doors we're just carrying out what God has equipped us to do All right, well, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Lord willing, we'll be back tonight in Matthew chapter 18. I've been saying that for about four weeks now. And uh, one of these days, Lord willing, we'll be back back in Matthew chapter 18. Maybe it was 19. So, all right, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Pray you have a good afternoon, get some rest, take a nap, eat food, whatever you do on Sunday afternoons. And uh, we'll see you back tonight. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Earl uh, Bond, would you uh, close us in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you.